0: Welcome, welcome, welcome.
1: A notable welcome to all you
2: music lovers. Do something what I like to call journey to the stage.
0: It's all about music. The music. And more. Music.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back your host. Your host and our dad. Brian! Razor. Right,
0: okay, well, let's uh, start at the beginning, shall we?
2: Well, welcome to each and every one of you, and thank you for joining us on Journey to the Stage today. This is a really special day, not only for this podcast, but for me personally, and and I mean truly special. Before I introduce our very special guest today, I want to enlist your help in cutting through the millions of podcasts that are out there by helping Journey to the Stage with a follow or rating or review. I'm an indie podcaster, and I depend on the help of wonderful music lovers like yourselves to help get the word out. For marketing, I have zero dollars, and according to my wife, I have zero cents, so I appreciate your help. Some people have heroes that wear capes and fly and, and fight villains and crush things and save the world, but most of my heroes have guitars slung around their necks. My guest is one such hero for me today. Ensconced in the artist's throne is the one and only Phil Kagi. Let me tell you a little bit about Phil in case you're not familiar with him. Phil is a a world-renowned guitarist, songwriter, singer, producer, and session player. He's also a husband and dad and a grandpa. Phil has nearly 60 albums under his own name and uh, several albums with his old band Glass Harp, many live albums, compilations, lots of tribute albums, over 25 collaborative albums, and many where Phil has played as a session player. He's won seven GMA devil boards nominated for two Grammys and is regarded by many and myself included as just one of the best. Beyond all that, those that I know that know, Phil say he's just a, a humble and wonderful friend. It is a genuine pleasure and a privilege to welcome to journey to the stage Phil Kage. Phil, thank you for joining me today.
4: Hey, thank you very much, Brian. It's great to be with you. And you know, prior to this interview, I've gotten to know you through phone calls and text yeah. and emails and uh it's uh like we became fast friends and i'm glad about that
2: yeah me too it's it's been very special to me and uh you know for somebody that has listened to your music literally since i was 16 this you know i'm 52 now so you've <laughs> uh, you you've been part of my life for a long time and it's now neat to be able to connect at this level and just very very grateful for you and uh so, you know, the introduction took so long that we're going to call it a day. So good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> it's been fun. Well, how are you doing these days? How are
4: you and Bernadette doing? We're doing really well. Um, and um, we're about to approach our 50th anniversary this coming July. Wow. And uh, 50 years. And it's every day I just thank her for being my wife. And I tell her how lovely she is. And I love her body, soul, and spirit. She's just a uh, a great, a great soulmate. She's uh, she's been such a great help and encouragement to me. I'm very, very privileged to have met her when she was only fifteen and I was nineteen at the time. Wow. She was just a sophomore in high school at the time.
2: Yeah. That's so beautiful. How did you guys meet?
4: <laughs> she got into a club in Akron, Ohio, with her sister's ID. She was underage, <laughs> but she wanted to come hear the glass harp. Wow. She she and her friend Sharon came. We were playing in the month of January 1971. We played on these Monday nights. They had us there three Mondays in a row. I saw her the first Monday sitting in the crowd and I thought, wow. And and of course they left before our show was up was ended and the uh, second Monday she left with her friend again before and the third time she came, I called for a a break so I could crawl over the people that were sitting on the floor listening to the the group and just went up to her and said, hey, can I offer you a cough drop? And uh, she said, no, thanks. Uh, But I said, could I sit (laughs) down? And she said, sure. And uh, we got to know each other and that was the beginning of it all. In fact, it's interesting, Uh, a friend of mine gave me a package of these Pine Brothers honey soft cough drops and that's mm-hmm. what I had offered to her. So I still have a few of those around. <laughs> Someone said, Hey, let's go back uh memory lane here and do you remember these? I go, I sure do. And so that's wow. what started it and but but I sat down and I, I shared my story with her, you know. I just began to share with her during the break, you know, what happened in my life the the year before, uh in February of nineteen seventy and how I became a believer and uh started reading the Bible and getting to know Jesus and meeting other like-minded people, young people my age. And uh, I shared, you know, how my life had changed because of the Lord. And she just listened, you know. She didn't push me away or anything. She was very curious. And about three months later, she also just gave her heart to the Lord. And that began a beautiful relationship that we still have to, to this day.
2: That is incredible. And how... How did you propose to her? Is it okay to ask that?
4: Well, the first time I brought up the idea of getting hitched, uh, we (laughs) went to the Virginia Kendall Hills there uh, north of Akron. I had my Bible, and I said, hey, look at this verse. It says, Hugh finds a good wife, finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. Yeah. And she got a little nervous, because she was, (laughs) at that time, she was just you know a junior in high school. Yeah, but I was falling in love with her, and uh, we were falling in love together. And uh, mm-hmm. and then when October of '72 came around, we had a really good discussion, and then we went out and, with her parents' permission, I, I asked her mom and dad, for yeah. her hand in marriage, and we went and got uh, engagement rings and picked out our wedding rings, and and that was the beginning. and And then in July we got married, and wow. two weeks two or three weeks after she graduated from high school. Yeah. So that was uh, the beginning of our, our life together.
2: That is a wonderful story. Almost 50 years. What, what day's your anniversary? 14th, July. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is Mm -hmm. beautiful. I'm just so glad I asked about that. That was neat to hear.
4: Well, you know, it's also, while we were engaged in the month of January, I was recording my album, What a Day, my first solo album, post-glass harp. And, uh, I would go from the studio in Cleveland to her house because her dad was a, he loved music. He was into mm-hmm. big band. In fact, he played drums in big band orchestra when he was a younger man, uh, when he was in the Air Corps. He liked the band, he liked the glass harp, he liked my guitar playing. And so I'd come to their house upon finishing up mixing one or two songs at a time with Gary Hedden, yeah. my engineer. They all sat in the living room and would listen to you know, I put on the reel to reel tape of of the mix of what a day or that is what the Lord will do for you or rejoice or whatever the song was, you know. That was a great memory. So at the same time we're making wedding plans while I'm finishing up my album, you know.
2: Wow, that's incredible. What a what a beautiful story. In fifty years, that's quite a mark. My wife and I just celebrated twenty five last summer, so we've well, got a little catching up to do. <laughs>
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, stick together and, you know, the Lord will hold you together. One of the verses in the Bible that really meant a lot to me and her, Bernadette, is uh, Colossians. I think it's 117. It says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Right. And so we've always looked at our marriage as a, a, you know, God is a part of it. You know, he's really uh, kept us together through thick and thin.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while and we're going to talk through some of your journey which we've already done and kind of dig into your your pathway as a musician, as an artist and as a and even your faith journey and we're going to play a couple pieces that we're looking forward to and as i mentioned in my introduction people who call you friend often talk about what a great friend you are and a few people you know have sent little audio notes that we're going to be playing throughout this and I hope that this is special for you, but I asked our mutual friend, Jerry McCasella, uh, who my family has hosted for a, for a house show, what what you mean to him. And he sent me this little audio recording that I'm going to play for you. And here, give me just a second.
3: Well, gosh, what do you say about Phil Keggy? I mean, obviously an incredible guitar player and musician, But I've found since I've known him for over 20 years, he is every bit of a human being, a wonderful man, that he is a guitar player. Actually, I think he's a a better person (laughs) than he is a guitar player, if you can believe it. Phil's a guy that I have learned so much from. As friendship has blossomed between the two of us over these many years, and he's just a guy I really love. I I care so much about him. He's taught me a lot about what it means to be a musician who follows Jesus, what it looks like to apply your faith to your music, what it looks like to love an audience. I'll never forget uh, being with him on uh, the very first concert. I think it was September 14th or 15th of 2001. I was opening for him just after 9-11 up in um, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Phil opened the concert that night with a reading from the Book of Common Prayer and lit some candles on the edge of the stage and just really set a mood for the entire audience to lament and to share their hearts, to open their hearts up to God, to process what we've all just been going through at that time, which was, of course, the tragedy of of the Two Towers and 9-11 happening. I'll never forget that. Um, it's been a long time since that uh, day, but Phil's a friend, somebody that I've learned a lot from, and I've come to love him like an older brother. Phil, I love you, and uh, here's to many, many more years of friendship, uh-huh. my brother.
4: Oh, uh-huh.
2: isn't that super, super cool, Jeremy, to send that in for you?
4: Uh,
3: I really appreciate
4: that. Uh, I I think he's a fantastic, uh, I would say, young man. He was a young man when I met him. Now he's you know he's a father of many children yeah, yeah and uh but we have great fellowship together we uh we we love the Lord being the center of our friendship mm-hmm. and uh music is uh one of the sweet byproducts of it you know and uh i I have a lot of respect for him because he's he's the real thing, and yeah. what he says about me just humbles me and just uh, I feel very honored you know to know him and so Thanks for sharing that, Brian. I appreciate that.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And he is, uh, I I just really love him musically, too. He's so Mm -hmm. gifted. He's a great Mm -hmm. writer and has just a wonderful voice. And, uh,
4: yeah. You know that album he did, Spirit, just is one of my favorite albums. Oh, yes. I just think it's uh, Mm -hmm. incredible. And, you know, back before Glass Harp did the album Hourglass, uh, which was a 2002 album, I believe. Uh, He and I wrote a song called You Whisper Something, just a sweet song and it's a nice arrangement and singing and harmonies and all. And so when I I proposed the song to Daniel and John and I said, hey, this is a really fine song. But I also said, would you guys mind if we had Jeremy's voice on it? (laughs) (laughs) Because Jeremy and I recorded the song here in my studio. And so John just put his drums to it. Daniel played the bass. Daniel and John also sang on it. But I have Jeremy's voice in there, so I think, aside from the song "Just Always," I believe there was a, a young lady who sang, uh, with us on John's song "Just Always" on the Synergy album back in '71, uh, and Jeremy sang in 2002 on a Glass Heart album. Those are the, those are the only two people I know, who also sang on a glass who sang on a Glass Heart album wow. besides the the three of us. Wow, I didn't know that. And so, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Oh, but I I should mention the first, very first glass harp album was a a demo album we did in 69 with Steve Marklin playing bass and singing harmonies, and he also, I like to clear up the fact that he sang What You're Doing. (laughs) We did a couple Beatles songs, and uh, I just have to laugh at those renditions, but that's that's another story altogether. Sure. But yeah, back to Jeremy, uh, I really appreciated that song and in fact, Glass Harp, we, we sang that song uh, live many times cool. back in the day, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I want to thank Jeremy. He also sang on my Acoustic Cafe album. Yeah, you
2: guys did an Everly Brothers song.
4: All I have to do is dream. I really enjoyed that. I'm hoping that we we get a chance to record a, another song together. Uh, that would because be wonderful. Because it's been a while.
2: When your voices mm-hmm. blend very well together, um, I, I would love to hear you guys do another, you know, song like that, like a Simon and Garfunkel song, Everly Brothers, where it's two voices, because it, it, you guys created a very nice blend together. So yeah, I I
4: think so. Yeah, Yeah, I think so too. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: So let's go back in time a a, a little bit further. I want to go back to your younger days, and I know you've talked about some of these things in other places. But uh, you were born Youngstown, Ohio. You come from a very large Catholic family, and were there was it nine of you guys? Is that right?
4: Uh, Ten of us. Ten.
2: Right. Wow. You know, if you cross the line to eleven, you become automatically Mormon. But Ten kids—that's—that's that's a lot. Uh, what was it? What was it like growing up in such a big family?
4: Well, it was really nice. I'm the ninth of the ten children. There was Mary Ellen, Peg, Jimmy, Dave, Carl, Mike, Bill, Kathy, then me, then my younger sister Jerry Beth, mm. who we just call Jer- Jerry. Yeah. My oldest sister Mary Ellen is very special. She passed away about six years ago. Mm. Oh, could be more than that now. How time flies! But she was an actress and a singer. Uh, she worked in Hollywood. She was in movies and TV. In TV, and but she had a beautiful voice. And uh, you know, I think she, in you know like Joe Stafford or you know, she had just just lovely voice. And she loved to sing. Wow. And she's the person who led me to the Lord in uh, February of 1970 after our mom's uh, car accident that wow. that took her life. And uh, which was a tragedy. Yes. I was just 18 at the time. And uh, Mary Ellen is uh, 22 years older than me. So uh, she would have been about 30, what, five? Is that correct? Yeah, something like if that. If you do mm-hmm. the math. And uh, just a, a wonderful lady, beautiful inside and out. And so there was Mary Ellen. And then there was Sister Peg, who got married young. I think she was just, you know, 18 or so. Mm-hmm. Peg had a full family, uh, six kids. Brother Dave, he, uh, well, Brother Jimmy was before Brother Dave, and Brother Jimmy, when he was just 19, was on his way just two weeks from joining the Navy, and he was in a car wreck. Uh, a truck hit him, oh. knocked him out of his car, and there was no seatbelts in those days. Oh, and, boy. And, and he hit his head on the on, on the asphalt and instantly died, broke, obviously, my mom and dad's heart. Oh, sure. Uh, and that was, I was just two years old when he died, so I didn't really know him. yeah. Although my mom used to tell me, he he really took a, a special uh, liking to me, and wow. drive around the property. You know, we had uh, lived on a farm, and he used to like have me on his lap. And huh. uh, but then brother Dave uh, went was in the air force. When he came back, he had a beautiful hi fi that he brought, made by Magnavox, and he was quite the record collector. Nice. And it was his collection of records that got me into music. You know, he had Classical, he had, you know, R- Ravel's uh, Bolero, I remember that? Oh, yes. He had uh, Monovani he had Debussy, and then he he bring home Elvis Presley and <laughs> nice. the Platters and the Ink Spots, and eventually the Everly Brothers, when they came out with their first song, Bill Haley and the Comets. And, uh, you know, he he was an avid record collector, Johnny Ray, uh, all, these, all these artists... And I would listen to these records and fall in love with music, and that's, and that's what happened. That's what got inside my bones and inside my soul, the love of music as a little kid. And Dave was the, the man that got me my first electric guitar. It was an Orpheus, and it was just a student model electric, but it was really got me really going. My dad, the year before, got me a sil- Silvertone for my 10th birthday, a Silvertone acoustic. And But it was difficult to play. I had quite a wide neck, and the strings were kind of high oh, yeah. off the fretboard. But when I got that electric, I just took off. And at that time, in 1962, our family, were, we were living in California, although we're from Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lived in California, and I was I was listening to a lot of the surf music at the time. Yeah. But I also loved the R&B music at the time, like Booker T and the MGs. I was a huge fan but I'd listen to the Ventures and the Safaris and Dick Dale and the Dale Tones. And, yeah. and I would learn all these songs off the records. And uh, and then in 64, the Beatles came out and, you know, in America. They came to America. And I saw them on the Ed Sullivan Show. And just a month before that, I heard, I want to hold your hand for the first time. And I go, wow. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was uh, pretty elated by the, the sound of the voices, the sound of the the guitars, yeah. you know. 'Cause nothing sounded like that in America. Right. You know. Right.
2: Well, I think today it's either today or yesterday is the anniversary of them playing for the first time on the Ed Sullivan show. So
4: Uh-huh. It was it was yesterday. Yesterday, right, mm-hmm. right,
2: right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. That was such a rich period of music. Um, uh-huh. from so many different styles and so many different genres that it's not surprising that, that the music of that era really captured you. For you, you know, having your brother, that's what my my mom was to me. My mom, mm-hmm. I have actually a good chunk of her record collection here. But she would play so much great music and very much very similar for you. It really captured mm-hmm. me, and so, man, that is a that is a real gift that you had. That
4: I know is aren't moms great? Yeah, aren't they the one? Yeah. They're so you know. My mom was so sweet. Your mom obviously was so sweet.
2: She is. Yeah, she's fortunately she's still with us, and she'll be listening. She's oh, good. she's my number one fan. So she will she will no doubt be listening to this episode. And uh, uh-huh. so when you what's her what's her name? Her name's Mary. Yeah.
4: Oh, yeah. Beautiful name. She
2: is. Yeah, yeah she's a great mom and really, really mm. blessed to have a great mom. Moms are, really are a, a true gift, a true, true gift. Um, awesome. Hello, Mary. Hi, mom. Hi there. <laughs> so, you are self taught were you were so were you back in those days where when you were hearing some of this surf music and some of this R&B and stuff were you just were you playing along trying to learn the riffs and stuff that you were hearing what was that like for mm-hmm. you when you first were starting out
4: Well um actually brother Dave when he got me my first electric he actually sat down with me made chord charts you know we didn't find any chord books out there at the the, the guitar stores you know we, yeah. he just made diagrams of E and B and B, you know, B seven, D and G and C and all those your basic chords, you know, uh, your Bob Dylan chords. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and then he obviously taught me how to tune the guitar. That was important. I remember I would just you know the the simple songs, you know, don't do you know the the songs like uh, you know, and, you know, yeah, the simple things, yeah. right? And I would do I would learn that and. I remember the first time I saw Dick Dale uh, and the Dale Tones and him doing,
0: <laughs>
4: you know, Mr. Lou And and I would learn all those songs. And uh, so in seventh grade, well, sixth grade, I, I joined up with uh, some friends in California, youngsters like myself, and we put a little band together called the Keytones. And nice. then we changed our name to the the Vertices and we we <laughs> eventually entered a few battle of the bands and we did pretty good and uh cool. and then in 7th grade I entered a talent contest at my school which was called McCumber in Buena Park oh and um uh, I got first place uh, and it was a Beach Boys song and so and then my first professional gig was at Artesia Hall in California in Artesia I know exactly California. where this is so
2: I grew up I don't know if you'll know where this is in Santa Fe Springs. Hmm. It's kind of near Norwalk, Woodier area. Uh, uh-huh. So mm-hmm. probably like fifteen minutes from Buena Park.
4: And, and there was this. There was a singer named Mel Carter, uh, and a friend of mine, a, a, a guy who helped me get a Fender Stratocaster when I was in the seventh grade. Uh, that's before I got my my first Les Paul, which is another story. You know there. Do see music and all that in Youngstown, Ohio, yeah. when we moved back, and when I was in the eighth grade. But in the seventh grade, I got a Stratocaster, which was like, wow. oh, hitting gold or something yeah. like that. It was like <laughs> striking gold. It was it was like the biggest day of my life when I got that guitar. And uh, I was offered a chance to play at this Artesia Hall, and um, the the headliner was Mel Carter. He had a, a hit song called "The Richest Man Alive" at the time. Yes. Ben, their truck broke down and they didn't make it so he and his wife taught me their hit song and i'm their accompaniment a seventh grader oh uh, my playing goodness. on stage in front of a, an audience of probably about 400 people and uh i just loved it i remember doing needles and pins by the searchers and you know i forget whatever else song i did yeah but this was just like in 65 you know 1965
2: Wow. so as, i mean as you were entering your teen years in those 60s, I mean, what a period for music. I mean, the British Invasion. It was this, oh. And talk about the great players on the scene. I mean, you had Clapton and Page and and Jimmy Beck and Michael Bloomfield and Hendrix and Buddy Guy and, and many. I mean, there's so, so many. Which, which guitar players kind of resonated with you back in that period of time?
1: Well,
4: at first, it was Scotty Moore, who played with Elvis? You oh, know, yes, um, for sure, yeah. Uh, you know, My Baby Left Me and all those great songs from the early, from the mid 60s, you know, f- uh, 50, I'm sorry, mid 50s, uh, 56, 57, mm-hmm. 58. There's a tune called My Baby Left Me. I, I still love the, the sound of that guitar to this day. And uh, that was Scotty Moore. And then, you know, I, I got listening to various guitar groups like the String Alongs and uh, Les Paul. Mm-hmm. Who was a giant a great inventor and great guitarist, for oh, sure, and then George Harrison really caught my ear and I loved the way he played and I love the sound that he and John made together, you know yeah. of course, it was a great combo, great band and then i I started um let's see I started when when i when i we moved back to Ohio in sixty five and in the summer of sixty five I started discovering. Other bands, I, I, I remember buying the Cream album oh, that yes. came out. Yeah, uh, But I think I got the Yardbirds before the Cream, and I was introduced to Jeff Beck, then Jimmy Page, mm-hmm. then Eric Clapton, and then uh, Jimi Hendrix. Then in 68, at the time we were starting Glass Harp, I was listening to a lot of Michael Bloomfield. Oh, so and, good, uh, yeah. I, I, I loved his tone, mm-hmm. and I loved the feeling that he got, in his guitar, out of his guitar, yeah. through his fingers, I was doing my best to copy him, but I was like a little kid trying to pretend he's he's a da- a real dancer. <laughs> he's just yeah. falling all over the place, right. and that was me. And you can hear it on the first demo glass harp album called "Where Did My World Come From." Mm-hmm. But yeah, Michael was really uh, he was a big influence. You know, the Electric Flag and yeah. the Live Adventures of Cooper and Bloomfield, and then uh, let's see what happened. Uh, then I started taken a real interest by 1970 the time i became a christian i started listening to julian bream and john renborn Mm. and acoustic players and classical players Uh, even though i'm not a classical player i I play on a classical guitar Mm. and i fake it like tommy tedesco used to say he used to just (laughs) fake it uh and because i'm a a really i'm a sponge you know whatever i love to listen to it kind of comes out a little bit you know yeah and even Pat Matheny and oh, uh, boy. Uh, other influences, Ellen Holdsworth, even though I can't play like Ellen Holdsworth, but I could imitate, you know, what he's done tonally. And uh, all those influences have made their way into my recordings, you know, and I think you can, you can hear it, the variety of it over the years.
2: Well, I think that's wonderful because, and I've mentioned this in other podcasts, but I remember... Getty Lee from Rush talking about how when he first started, he was trying to be sound like John Entwistle or, you know, some of these other brilliant players and inevitably not being able to, but along the way finding his own sound. And I think that's mm-hmm. what it's like for a lot of musicians. You, you're trying to be so-and-so or sound like so-and-so, but you that's where you find yourself, yeah. so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, uh,
0: mm-hmm. well, it's Absolutely. Interesting
2: you mentioned, uh, mentioned Al Cooper. Uh, so he and I have actually been, uh, corresponding about him joining me on my podcast. So, I think it will happen down the no, road kidding. a little. Yeah, I'm re- really really looking forward to that. I'm a, a big fan of his work. So, and I obviously Michael Bloomfield did so much. They did so much work together.
4: Oh, absolutely. And you know, there's a song that I wrote with Mike Picelli, uh, on my all at once album called Stay Home Baby. Mm. Are you familiar with that album? Uh, I'm familiar with
2: the album. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since I played it. Yeah.
4: Uh, yeah and uh, most people aren't because I don't have any distribution except for my thank god for my band site. Yeah. And I'm I'm playing my Les Paul and I'm playing as close to Bloomfield style as I can. And I you know Mike uh, Mike Pacelli said to me, you know, who played bass on that song and Richie Russo played uh, drums and I played the rhythm guitar and the lead guitar and I sang the lead vocal. Mike and I did the background vocals. Mike said, "Boy, it's so Bloomfield, it's too bad we don't have Al Cooper. I go, you're not going to believe this, but I have Al Cooper's phone number. Wow. He said, give it to me, I'm going to call him. So Mike Pacelli called Al Cooper up in New York, and he agreed to play organ on the song. Really? So he, yeah, he's, he, he's the organist on there. In fact, there's right here. before his solo... Uh, no, I can't. i got to be on an interview. I can't get out of here. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Wow. So anyway... So in fact, I, I wanted people to know, and so I, I go. And then right before so I go. Al Cooper
1: I wanna stay home, baby I. Wanna stay home, baby, cause I got-
4: Nice. I'll have to go and back and listen it's to that. Really, it's, yeah. Oh yeah, it's pretty
2: fun. It's pretty fun to listen to. Well, I'm I'm one of the um, probably your newest VIP member on your Bandcamp page, so I'll have to go back and listen to that album again because it's been a, it's been a little bit.
4: Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. There's some nice there's some nice songs on there. I also did a more of a gospel centric version of All at Once called Fearless Love, which, in which I took the pop songs and that song Stay Home Baby off of it. Uh, i think that, i think sometimes less is more and i thought well maybe i'll just and we just made a few hundred of those CDs but it's out there on the on the Bandcamp site and uh it's just more gospel focused you know with call the doctor and fearless love and right. uh Merce, mercy and not be moved and those kind of songs yeah. ezekiel but you know my friend rex schnelly who is also a great brother and great musician amazing musician he and i wrote a tune on the All At Once album called uh, I Love The Way You Love Me, which is very Beatle pop sounding. And he he's the band, you know, he's the entire band, huh. uh, except for my, my guitar and vocals, you know.
2: I want to talk about your playing. And so I've always been curious about this. Let's say, you know, you're on stage, you're playing with a group of musicians, and you're going to take eight bars or 16 bars and just do some solo work. In your head, before you start playing, do you know what you want to do? Do you have to think about your phrase before you play it? Or does it just happen as you're playing? I've always been curious about that because I'm I'm not that kind of player. But I've always been curious uh-huh. watching guys jam. Like, how do they do that? Do they hear it first or do they hear it as they're playing it? What is, what's that like for you?
4: It works both ways with me. You know, it's like a vocabulary. It's like a language. And... Uh, I have a limited vocabulary in music, but it's worked for me. And I've experimented. I've I've taken chances with my playing, and I've and I've explored areas that uh, I was surprised I was able to accomplish. You know, actually, you know, I'm not a sight reader, but music's been in my heart and my life ever since I can remember. Yeah, and uh, like like uh, I'm gonna soon do a concert with tom hemby band and it's a jeff beck tribute night oh yeah and uh i'll be playing i'll be playing on some songs with with the band with jimmy hall you know singing Hmm. uh like little wing and people get ready and morning Dew. but also i'm doing a song that's featuring my guitar uh, and it's an an original song by jack gehring that i recorded with jack and john safara and uh, myself and uh it's called Thin Ice. That's the piece. And I, you know, I I had to meticulously learn because it's like reciting a poem. Right. The lines, every line means something and every line that follows a line is dependent on the previous line. It's like, it's it's not a jam. It's actually a, you know, it's a lyrical guitar piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you. I, I was tipping the hat to Jeff Beck. Mm-hmm. This was back in twenty ten, twenty eleven, and you know, back be- before Jeff passed away. Unfortunately, this past uh, recent time, yeah, you know. Yeah. So we're we're gonna cheers to Jeff, you know, and for his contribution to guitar players. Uh, that's what we're gonna do. But uh, back to your question about that, you know, it's um, sometimes I just feel it, you know. And how the band sounds, if I'm playing with a band, can affect how I play. Sure. What I'm playing through, what guitar I'm playing, what amp I'm playing through, if there's anything in between the guitar and the amp, you know, that affects how you play. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, when I was a younger player, I was uh, all over the place. You know, I was pretty scatterbrained and pretty green, you know, as a, as a player. But the older I got, the more I wanted to say something with my, with my guitar playing two guitar players in particular really did influence me in the area of, you know, think about what you're playing, try to say something with your notes, and that was Joe Walsh and Peter Frampton, uh, both guitar players that I, I, I jammed with Joe many times in Kent, Ohio, at the, at the JB's Club. Hmm. Um, we, we used to do Jeff's Boogie together, and uh, I'd sit on the floor and watch Jeff, uh, Joe play hmm. and just go, wow, that's, that's reaching me deep down, the way he played, you know, he had that slow hand thing that Clapton had, you know. But then um, the glass harp opened up for Peter Frampton's group that he was in called Humble Pie, uh, oh, at wow. least six times, wow. back in '69, '70. And I'd I'd sit in the audience and listen to Peter play, mm-hmm. and he had a bit more of a uh, a different vocabulary than than Joe, you know. Uh, You could tell he listened to to jazz and bebop and stuff like that, but he was a rock player at the same time. But he was melodic, you know, and he actually really said stuff with his guitar playing, and I wanted to be that kind of guitar player. Now, in 69, I was, you know, with the the original Glass Harp, Steve, John, and myself. Then I came into the Lord. I, I became a Christian, and I think, and I believe with all my heart, the Lord began to renew my mind, and I began to appreciate more types of music and a greater variety and I started to also want to be more open to other people's suggestions and not just, you know, call the shots myself and I I just became more open and uh, I I think I matured within a year and a half Mm -hmm. by leaps and bounds, I think partly because of my faith, because of the Lord renewing my heart, my life, my my mind, I, I'm just so grateful for that change because the first song on the first Glass Harp album on Decca was Can You See Me? And then it goes into children's fantasy and you could see there is there was some serious growth between nineteen sixty-nine and nineteen seventy. You know, within a year and a half, my my life really changed musically.
2: I heard you say in another interview and I I, I watched several interviews just, you know, kind of leading up to this just to get a feel and partially to know some things good things to ask things that I didn't want to retread but you had said in an interview that when you became a Christian you discovered more beauty and I that really has stuck out to me what did you what do you mean by that what did what did that mean to you then
4: well you know i think it, it i just started to see the good in people mm-hmm. i started noticing the things that are important you know how love really is important, yeah. forgiveness is important, striving for to be more like christ and you know he, he set such a wonderful example of selflessness and uh serving. I just was able to appreciate things uh, one of the things I didn't notice I started to really become friends with older people, like people that are my age now you know i remember a remember uh, going to uh different churches and fellowships and Enjoying talking to the older people, whereas when I was in you know stuck in my own little world, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, I was just hanging out with my friends, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> then I've discovered that there's such a treasure in the lives and the minds and the hearts of older people who have walked with God for a long time. So yeah, I began to notice a, a greater appreciation for the good things in life.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful and beautifully mm-hmm. said. I was listening to. A recording that you released recently of you playing when you were in eighth grade you were playing a, a, a you were jamming uh, with your band back then let's I want to put a little clip right here let's listen to a little bit of you playing in, when you were in eighth grade Phil, you were what 14 or so back then. What is it like to hear that Phil Kagi playing like that?
4: Well, you could tell I was into surf music yes. because it sounds like a surf song to me, you know. I was fresh out of California because we, you know, we were out there while I was in the fifth and sixth, seventh grade, you know, during those years. We actually went back and forth quite a lot because my dad was an iron worker and he worked in he worked in ohio you know worked in the steel industry bridge builder high buildings you know tall buildings and he was a connector and, and but he loved the winter out in california so we'd go out to california because the weather was so nice and 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 that's what happened but we kept coming back because grandmother was still alive gotcha and uh, my mom's mom so my mom really felt an obligation to be home here in ohio so that's what happened but I'm glad because I had the influences. You know, I, I learned to play with musicians out in Buena Park. Yeah. And then I learned, I, I joined a band called the Squires as soon as we got back yeah. to Ohio. And I was going into the eighth grade. And that's where I met John safara in fact. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, my good friend from the Glass Harp, huh. great drummer. Uh, John and I met, we were introduced by Sister Mary Charles at St. Christine's School. <laughs>
2: Good old Sister Mary Charles.
4: I remember the day she introduced us. You know, I remember she said, uh, "Phil, this is John. John, this is Phil. You guys need to know each other. I hear you both play music. You know." So,
2: and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, Yeah. Well, it's so funny. I got my first guitar when I was in eighth grade too, and it was so ugly. I still have it actually. My my mom paid, I think, 120 bucks for it at Downey Music. And uh I didn't have a distortion pedal, so I would turn it up all the way until the speaker blared so I could get some type of distortion. You know, I started playing along with, like, Black Sabbath and Deep Purple, but, you know, some of those power chords. <laughs> and then I would laugh yeah. because our little dog, Pedro, he would start howling <laughs> because it was so ear-piercing and just ugly. I couldn't really blame him. You know, I was thinking about your story, too. You know, like, like you, I lost a parent when i was pretty young my dad died when i was about 11 P- how pivotal of an event that was and you know you you talked about the passing of your mom do you do you get any influence from that does that come out in your music in any way that maybe is discernible to you just some of those life experiences
4: uh-huh yes you know i first song i wrote as a as a christian was called heaven is home mm. it was never officially released on an album mm-hmm. But it's on my band campsite. It's probably on uh, Backroom Tracks 13, maybe somewhere else in one of the Backroom Tracks albums. And then I, I wrote uh, What a Day, you know, thinking about heaven, Yeah. thinking about we'll be reunited with the ones we love. And, and then I, a song I wrote on the album Way Back Home called A New Star. Now there's a new star in their eyes, you know, about my father and my mother who've passed on. And my brothers and my sisters, you know, now there's only four of us Keggy kids out of the ten, wow, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, we're we're all you know hopping on that train at one point or another. Yeah. My dear brothers Carl and Bill are still alive, and I just love them very much. And my younger sister is the only sister left, Jerry. Uh, in fact, she lives in Tennessee too, and uh, and so uh, I just love her so much. In fact, uh, there there's a there's an album on the band site called Brother and Sister, and it's the songs that we wrote together. Typically, she'd write the lyrics, and I would put the music to her lyrics. But if you remember songs like Tender Love and Ooh, My yes. Unspoken Words, uh, what's another one? You Have My Heart, songs like that. She was the lyricist for those songs. Well,
2: that's so interesting. I'll have to yeah. go back and listen to those again, because that will change the way that I hear them, no, no doubt. What I love is there is such an optimism in your music, right? Everything is all right, as you sing on, on Sunday's Child. A song that I see... Thanks to Mark Hurd. Yes. Thanks oh, to Mark Hurd on that Hurt. one. Yeah. Yes. What a... Somebody gone way, way too soon. I, I have often mm-hmm. wondered the volume of wonderful work he would have created if he would have stayed with us longer, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, Very, very absolutely. gifted individual. You know, a song that I see regularly on your set list when you play live. It's a Beatles tune. Here Comes the Sun by George Harrison. What is it about that song that, that makes it so special to you?
4: I could tell you where I was at. It was in 1969 after the album came out. Abby wrote. Yeah. I was at a friend's house lying on the uh, living room floor, listening to these Sylvania air suspension speakers wow. <laughs> that I'd never heard of before yeah. that just sounded wonderful. And when Here Comes the Sun came in and the drums and the bass kicks in, mm. I go, oh, listen to that. What incredible fidelity. Mm. And what a beautiful tune, you know. So I've always loved the song, always have. And, and George was really, even before that time, he was beginning to write something and uh, Here Comes the Sun on that album Our highlights. Yes of that album wish I could have met him I met Paul McCartney once though I did meet Paul
2: yeah we'll talk about that in a little bit well you know and I think too when you have writers like Lennon and McCartney you know it's hard to push your way to the front when you've got such talent ahead of you. And I wonder often, and maybe you have too, if if he were given more of a chance earlier on to write and get some songs on some of those albums. Who knows what that would have been, but I've, I've often wondered about that. And it's interesting, I was actually just reading about this song that globally it is the most played Beatles song on Spotify.
4: I could believe it. Oh, sure.
2: And if you think about their body of work that's really saying something. I know that's that's one you play often. You feel up for uh gracing us with a little bit of here comes the sun.
4: Absolutely. Sure. <laughs>
1: Sun, 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 here he comes.
4: Well, that's most of it.
2: We're going to pause our chat with Phil Keige right there. There's so much great conversation to come, a couple more live in-studio performances of two of my favorite Phil Keige songs. A few other friends will be stopping by with some special messages for Phil, including one from a guy with the last name Stonehill. Uh, Much lies ahead, and if you're a fan of Phil Keige and his music, you do not want to miss this. Part two is slated to drop on August 14th, 2023, so stay tuned for that, and until then, Keep your bags packed and join us on our next journey to the stage. And that is a wrap.